Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Morning, New Zealand. 9.03 here on SENZ Mornings through to uh, midday. And uh, we've got cricket on the show this morning. Uh, Craig Cumming is uh, coming in with us straight away, so to speak. Uh, and then how would you run uh, a marathon on bare feet? Well, Ben Cinnamon did it at the weekend to raise money for Kids Can Charity. Uh, how does he feel this morning? Um, and uh, how are the old tootsies? They'd be a bit sore, I would imagine. Uh, Dave Worsley will come in just after 10 o'clock. It's getting really interesting uh, at the tennis, uh, number two seed disappearing from the women's side of the draw last night. So is it just a cakewalk now for Barty? We'll find out uh, from Dave. Guy Havelt uh, is on the panel with Mark Hinton uh, just after 10.20 this morning. Uh, we'll catch up with Louis Herman Watt uh, and I think Brendan Popperwell this morning from the TAB. And Jared Cronin, uh, he's uh, our colleague on SEN. He's the NFL expert. Uh, we did the NFL yesterday, but after um, uh, we finished our show, the most amazing game of NFL, particularly in terms of a finish, uh, happened. I, I think it's worth talking about. We're down to the last four teams, so we'll be doing that after 11 o'clock. Uh, 11 o'clock. There's a stumped smithy uh, around about uh, 11.30, and we have a Mount Rushmore again. Uh, so I'll tell you about the details of that very shortly. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, there's big changes afoot in the lives of a hardy bunch of blokes in the village starting today. Those blokes who often gather some on a nightly basis, I'm told, to solve the problems of the world, global warming, COVID transmission, interest rates, you know that stuff, that is critical to our future. Now, these are indeed dedicated men, toilers during the day, same work uh, till at least three o'clock in the afternoon, problem solvers and humanitarians by mid to late afternoon, their role changes. But from today and from now on, every Tuesday and Sunday going forward, there'll be no access to the boardroom. The doors are closed, no entry, permitted masks or no masks, social distancing or no social distancing. Not so much a lockdown, more so a lockout. A big, fat, red light confronts. Used to be just three days per annum, Christmas Day, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, those days of reverence and observance. And now those hardy community servants are staring down the barrel of 100-plus days of exile. Unimaginable, unthinkable. And I must admit, with many, many businesses around the country in these severely troubled times for commerce, struggling to keep their doors open, why does this little village icon willing to want to shut theirs? I don't know. Hard to make a, a buck, one would have thought, with a lock on the door. This is indeed a desperate situation. 
One you're unlikely to see reported on the 6 o'clock news. Incidentally, a bulletin these blokes in question don't even know exists. They're always locked in discussion at that time. I'll do my best to keep you updated on the situation. Certainly it doesn't rate for the populace alongside the Omicron cancelled weddings. The Bishop on remand or Tova's restraint of trade. I sense a change of venue on the horizon out of necessity because it's unlikely the country will survive without this nightly caucus. So to JB, Bulldog, Shane O'Harve, Rowdy, Roscoe, Dave on holiday and Ivan the Horrible, good luck lads, sort it out, keep up the sterling work. Your country needs you. Seven here on SENZ uh, in the mornings, and it is a very good morning to uh, Craig Cumming because the playoffs uh, are set for the T20 Super Smash after the Wellington Blaze completed a perfect 10 with regular season win over the Northern Brave yesterday, sitting right behind them with eight win, two loss record. Uh, the Otago Sparks, who will host the Auckland Hearts on Thursday in Dunedin, so in their backyard for the right to play uh, that crack Wellington team. Uh, coaching them now. Uh, of course, is Craig coming? Uh, good morning to you, Sid. And uh, wow, you've uh, you've made the last three, which at the start of the season might have been a bit of a dream, I would think. Yeah, morning, really Happy New Year to you. And yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's nice. It's always nice when you can earn yourself another another game and another opportunity to play. And you know, when you talk, yeah, the start of the year. When you look at last year, I think we won three games. Um, obviously, we've got Susie Bates back into our mix from from last year where she was injured, but. Uh, the rest of the squad's very much the same. I, I just went through it, actually, Smithy. We've, we've only used 13 players, um, which is good, but also um, another side of it is when it comes to a little bit of development, which we're always trying to do, um, sometimes you'd maybe like more opportunities, but, you know, we're just delighted. I mean, the girls never really set goals about making playoffs. They never really set goals actually about winning games at cricket. They just, um, they've got some things they want to achieve every game, and Obviously, if you do that, you go out and enjoy yourself. You play good cricket, and then the result will look after itself. It doesn't mean you're always going to win, actually. And um, but we've been lucky enough to, to play some good cricket and um, play a stand up at the right times. And yeah, we, we're really excited about playing on Thursday. We, we would love to play it, obviously, at home with maybe a crowd, but we can't control that. But as I said, the girls uh, are really excited about playing another game of cricket, and that's pretty important. It is, and so too is the form of Susie Bates, bearing in mind what is around the corner in terms of uh, the Women's World Cup. I know it's a slightly different type of cricket, but to see her striking the ball so uh, so well uh, on a consistent basis, uh, what, 426 runs at a strike rate of 114, that is simply outstanding. Yeah, it has been, and, and it's funny though, because T20 cricket um, is, is very different to, to probably one-day cricket, we all know that, but um, Susie, in amongst um, you know performing really well in, in this competition, is working really hard during the week actually on her game for the World Cup. And probably the most important thing is when you when you're putting numbers like that up, um, when it comes to Susie as a person, she's gaining confidence. So when she goes into the White Ferns, um, yes, it's a different game. It's going to be a higher level, um, but the most important thing is you know she's going to be confident uh, in her ability. It's been a tough couple of years for Susie. She obviously had that injury, but also probably hasn't scored as many runs at the international game as she would like, but 
I think she's got herself and her mind and her game um, to the stage where obviously she's performing well for us in the Super Smash, but um, her whole motivation and her whole drive is for this Cricket World Cup. She's been playing for close to 20 years. It's, it's a really special thing for her. The key, actually, Smithy, for, for Susie is not to try too hard, um, and especially when it comes to the World Cup. And um, even for us, you know, I, I want her uh, to go out and, and play with a smile on her face and enjoy every day and, and make sure she just um, stays nice and relaxed. And I think when she does that, she, she brings the best out of herself. But as we've seen, when she's, when she's got Jesus, she's awesome. So um, she's my biggest little kid, Smitty. Often it's the way you see me players. Um, sometimes your older players are actually your biggest kid. You've just got to see every time Susie takes a catch, it's like the first catch she's ever taken in her life. She's got a big smile on her face. She jumps up and down. But, um, you know, she's also dragging players along with her and, you know, we're not going to have it for a long time um, left in this game and we've got to embrace and enjoy it. And I've really enjoyed coaching her. And, and I've known Susie since she was, you know, felt like she was probably about 10. But um, since then, um, you know, being involved with her this year has been a lot of fun. Eden Carson is your top wicket taker uh, for um, your particular Sparks team at the moment. I think 14 uh, wickets as a spinner. So... Who are those players we don't know as well as Susie Bates who have contributed for you to this point? Well, our bowling attack's been outstanding. Um, you know, we, while we've had our, our best do well, um, it's been on the back of our bowlers being absolutely brilliant. So, um, you know, Eden Carson, a young off-spinner who I think can play at the white fence level, no problem at all. Um, you know, we've got Emma Black, who's performed for two or three years uh, at this level. Um, and just, you know, again, with the opening ball, we've had Molly Lowe, who's 18 years of age. She's been brilliant. Uh, Sophie Aldershaw, a little bit of someone that people don't know. She's just a tall right armour. She bowls what everyone thinks is leg spin, but she actually bowls Ryan Smithy. But, again, someone who's just, she's a physio. She plays the game because she loves the game, and it's been hugely successful. Um, and then on the batting side, we, we were obviously, you know, Polly Engels, I think, is good enough to be in the White Fern squad as the second wicket keeper batsman. Um, yeah, she scores runs, she's done it for years. So, you know, we've got a lot of um, you know, players who are contributing on, on and off the field. So uh, while people will throw the, the Susie Bates thing at us, it's actually more than that. We're, we're a very good team and uh, everyone's contributing in different ways. So it's a lot of fun. You're 2-0 against the Auckland Hearts. You've beaten them twice this season. In fact, the only team you've lost to uh, is the crack Wellington side. So levels of confidence for this one, I know it's a one-off. Um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, I, I just say the, the girls are really good um, because they, they just go about playing the game of cricket. They, whether you're playing, it doesn't matter who you're playing, they just turn up and play and they enjoy themselves and um, they go out and, and play what's in front of them. Even, you know, playing, playing semi-finals, it's not, a, it's not a, a nervous thing. It's a case of just getting in and, and playing another game of cricket. And um, The Hearts are a good side. They've got a lot of experience, um, but they've got a lot of youth as well. So... They're probably very similar to us, um, and we're looking forward to playing them. Yeah, we've beaten them a couple of times, but uh, when you go and play a one-off game and it's a knockout game, it doesn't really matter. You've just got to turn out and the best team, or whoever gets the chance to win the game, gets a chance to take on the Blaze. But uh, both teams need to play well to be able to win. Interesting um, in terms of uh, the draw, because you've got the you've got the late game and and the blokes. It's a neutral venue for the for the men. Uh, they're playing before you, so uh, that gives, I guess, a, a better opportunity for, uh, I would have said, fans to turn up. But as you say, uh, under the <laughs> red situation, it really doesn't make much difference anymore. No, it doesn't, no. And, and I mean, you know, I don't know if we were asked or not. I don't think we were, Smithy, actually, um, whether we wanted to play. They've they reversed the order. Um, 
different. We played the first game all year, every year, um, and, and we're not this time. So that's OK. Uh, it gives us a chance here. Yeah, you're right. It would have been nice because uh, people probably could have gone to work and then come and played us, uh, come and watched us and uh, play. We've got a great support down here in Otago, as you know, and um, that would have been really good. But um, it is what it is. We'll just turn it. It'll be a little bit warmer than 10 past 10 starts, so that's a good thing for us. OK, let's look at, uh, if I can... Um the uh, the Black Caps for a moment because uh, of course we've got to uh, replace Ross Taylor on a permanent basis now as we head into the series uh, hopefully that will happen against South Africa uh, but there's always also the likelihood of this ongoing elbow problem for Kane Williamson there is uh, I'm hearing a chance that he might not be available for that series as well and all of a sudden uh, all those hundreds all those experience against a side like South Africa uh, how are we going to fill those gaps? Uh, good question. I mean, we're pretty lucky in that we've got uh, Devin Conway. So we, we've got a guy that's turned up who's obviously set the world on fire. Um, and, and, I mean, Will Young's done a brilliant job, Smithy. I mean, he's been around the, the, the scene you know, for a couple of years, and I heard him talking the other day. And now he's got a spot. So I, I think we're OK. I mean, Devin will go down to four, um, you know, and, and when Ross was going to be finishing, and we've got uh, Young there. But um, the question is, who's the next one coming around? I mean... Mitchell's been tried. There's a few others that have been tried. So, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge for New Zealand cricket. Um, I don't think, you know, Ravindra's there. Um, at the moment, I don't think he's quite um, done enough to be in that top order. Um, so there's a few opportunities. Yeah, I mean, we miss Kane Williamson, and that test series against Bangladesh. I mean, I do look at that first test match, and I feel like there was a little bit of uh, not expectation that we're just going to knock over Bangladesh. And it's not saying Tom Latham doesn't do a good job as captain, but we, I think we missed Kane's leadership in that first test match. And um, I don't think we would have lost uh, against Bangladesh if, if Kane had to be there leading the side. Not only because of, obviously, his batting, um, but actually also probably the, the attitude that he brings and, and Kane's ability to lead the side. So now there's some question marks. I mean, we also got to look at the, the bowling attack. And I'm not saying it's, it's near the end for Bolt, Sally, Wagner, um, but it's getting closer, Smithy, isn't it? I mean, these guys are close to the end of their career, but we've got Jamison there, obviously Henry's in the mix, I mean Ferguson's around but we need to make sure that we're actually um, we're thinking ahead and, and knowing what we're going to do for the future He's the voice of sport in New Zealand Nothing gets past Smithy It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ uh, 9.24 and uh, you're hot off uh, the mark this morning with uh, some of these texts and there's a pretty common theme coming through with some of them uh, Dean has uh, said Dennis Lilly, Joel Garner, Richard Hadley, Malinga, the Slinger and Shoah Bakhtar. There's five. Uh, he's also come in and said, what about uh, Mitchell Johnson as well? Always got wickets against us when he biffed the ball. He was quite quick, actually, uh, was uh, Mitchell Johnson. Uh, his last test match was uh, in Perth when Ross Taylor absolutely blunted him, scored 290, broke him, really, and he retired from international cricket, really at the end of that particular test match. Uh, he was out there so long, and uh, uh, it really was uh, quite a defining moment in his career. It was uh, the end of it. Uh, also, uh, Smithy Paddles, Lily, Whispering Death, of course, Mikey Holding, and uh, Alan Donald. Uh, that's from JD of Mount Eden. And Barry has come in with Hadley, Lily, Thompson, and Marshall. So uh, real dominance there, uh, John, of quick bowlers. Uh, not necessarily have to be quick bowlers. There might be a spinner or two that's uh, intrigued you over the years, but certainly uh, the quickies have come in uh, strong. John, straight away. Yeah, and you would have faced a few of those guys, Smithy. Who was the scariest 
bowler that you faced during your career? Any of those guys on the list? Because, man, they are some fast bowlers that have been sent in. Yeah, they're all fast. Um, I would have thought probably Marshall was the most intimidating. He was the most aggressive. Um, because he was awkward, he was really not a very tall man. Uh, but he used to come round the wicket and uh, he'd aim at, aim at the body and, and he was damn accurate. So that was quite intimidating. Jeff Thompson was different altogether. had lightning fast in his pomp, got him towards the end of his career. But uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, he was difficult because you couldn't see the release of the ball. He had the, heart, uh, the ball behind his back and then you had uh, that slinging action, uh, which made it very hard for him to pick up uh, straight away. And that, that pace, that was tough. Never, never faced Shoabacta. They say Shoabacta was lightning. I mean, lightning quick. Uh, but certainly all the others. Um, I think uh, no Malinga. I never played against Malinga the Slinger, uh, who would have been absolutely incredibly unique to face because, of course, the ball was coming out of the umpire's chest basically instead of above the bowler's head, umpire's chest. Uh, how he got used to that, uh, not many people did, and uh, it's a testament to the number of wickets he got, just how awkward he was and how accurate he was with that action. So. Yeah, we're, we're uh, cruising through a few there, um, JD, that I used to know on a regular basis, but not for long. Uh, that was the beauty of uh, <laughs> not being able to bat very well. You didn't have to put up with it for long. Oh, mate, you had some cracker innings, uh, so don't play yourself oh. down too much, mate. Uh, not against uh, those boys. Yeah, uh, that's true. Not <laughs> against those type of attacks, so uh, not many did. Uh, but so uh, keep them coming in, Double eight, double three, one zero eight hundred one five zero eight eleven is uh, our phone number this morning. Uh, looking forward to talking to uh, Ben Cinnamon after the break uh, because uh, this is a 32-year-old man who uh, ran the Auckland Marathon at the weekend in bare feet. I mean, goodness me, I'm not quite sure I can even imagine that, uh, that happening, but uh, he was able to do that. Um, that is that. Uh, the other uh, issue that we'd, we'd love to hear from you, uh, your theory. Should we uh, brown the wickets off um, at the Basin Reserve and at Hagley this time around? Bearing in mind we're getting to uh, the end of summer, um, that perhaps we could uh, perhaps introduce spin in the series against South Africa. Is that at all possible in the thinking, your thinking? And if we don't have Kane Williamson, uh, and there is a possibility with this recurring elbow injury, if we don't have him and no Ross Taylor, where do we get our runs from in the middle of the order? Henry Nichols not in the best of form, so all of a sudden, um, a fair bit of pressure going on, John. Yeah, who would be your top five? I think this is a really interesting discussion. We've got a couple of clear openers, don't we? Um, and Tom Latham mm-hmm. and Will Young, they've done a great job, yep. so lock them in. And I think if there's no cane, which it's probably leaning towards no cane, unfortunately, then you probably ask Devin Conway to bat three. And then after that, four and five, what happens there? Well, do you ask Nichols to go uh, from five to four? I would imagine they'll pick him because it's not like if you've lost both Williamson and Taylor, uh, you're going to leave Nichols out as well. Although uh, he needs runs. He certainly does need runs on a more regular basis. You can't just front up every now and then. Um, you've, you've got to be more consistent than he's been in the last year or so. So... Uh, Nichols is uh, a bit of an issue, but probably gets uh, the nod uh, initially. And then you, you look at, uh, I guess you have to look at uh, Plunkett Shield form. I'm not exactly across the whole of that. Or do we go to experience, I mean, Mitchell, can he play a role? But would you put Daryl Mitchell in Test cricket in the top five? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, whatever job they've asked him to do in the past, he kind of uh, has slotted in and done pretty well. So uh, it is a real interesting one to be perfectly honest, and not a lot of red ball cricket being played 
in preparation for the series against the South Africa that is all white ball cricket. So we'll be going on past form rather than current form. If you like. Ben Phillips, of course, was called across to uh, Australia to play the third test against the Aussies a couple of years ago. He scored 50 in the first innings, but a very lucky scratchy 50 at that. None in the second innings. Uh, and he, of course, has been a, a white ball cricketer predominantly. So uh, who is there? Who is there? It's a big question mark. It really is. So uh, all eyes on uh, Williamson and that elbow, I'm afraid, for the backbone of that uh, test batting lineup. 9.30 here on SENZ. It's time for Trudy and the News. Well, the Auckland Marathon was able to go ahead just at the weekend with around 8,500 people taking part. Uh, but only one person was uh, there brave enough, I won't say silly enough, I'll say brave enough to do it barefoot. And he joins us now. Ben Cinnamon, good morning to you. Uh, obvious first question, how are you walking at the moment? Good morning, Smithy. Uh, thanks for having me on, mate. Um, yeah, not so good at the moment. It's almost 48 hours since the race finished and it's still taking me a fair chunk of time to walk across the house. So, um, yeah, we're pretty tender, but we came through relatively unscathed apart from that. So um, what are we looking at? Blisters, cuts, bruises, uh, the, whole, the whole shebang, I guess? Yeah, it's more the joints and the muscles that are pretty tender. You know, pounding the asphalt for almost six hours takes a, a pretty heavy toll. The feet have come through okay. They were more slightly burnt, if anything, because that ground got pretty hot mm. a long time if you drive there towards the middle of the day. So, um, yeah, all sorts of, of niggles, but um, no major injuries, so pretty lucky. Now, uh, Ben, obviously, um, you did it for uh, a very genuine reason. Uh, tell us uh, a wee bit about the, the charity, why you came up with the idea, and, and how successful it's been money-wise. Yeah, so I, I did it to raise money for Kids Can. Um, pretty important charity in the grand scheme of things. You know, I've got a almost two-year-old daughter and you know she's got all her basic needs met you know she's got warm clothes she's got lots of food she's got shelter but the reality is for tens of thousands of kids across New Zealand um, it's just not the case and, it, and it's not their fault and this is a way of me making a bit of noise about um, some of the inequities that are around with our young children in New Zealand and trying to raise a bit of cash as well so raise the tick over five grand at the moment um, which is awesome. Um, so thanks so much to everyone that donated. But we're also just trying to get people to have conversations around what they can potentially do in their community to, to help out and just have a look around and and see what the reality is for, for Kiwi kids out there. Yeah, we do talk to, it's the kind of thing we just take for granted, I guess. So, you know, everyone's got a pair of shoes, haven't they? But no, they haven't. Uh, it's as simple as that. Oh, absolutely. It's, um, you know, you kind of get caught looking around and, and, and thinking that everything's okay if you just keep in your little bubble. But, you know, look a bit further afield and, and kids are going to school with, with no shoes, you know, no food in the lunchbox, you know, sharing sharing shoes, you know, day on, day off with other people in the family. Um, and it's, it's pretty tough for some of them. You know, I sort of look at, um, there's a good analogy about life being like climbing a mountain and everyone's mountaintops pretty different but we don't all have the same opportunity to get to the top you know a lot of kids are born 
halfway up the mountain. They've, they've got warm clothes, a torch, a compass, a tent, and, and a good guide to get them there. But a lot of kids are born at the bottom in the dark and with, with no food, no way of getting to the path and, and no um, help to get there. And it's, it's just um, it's a real problem in New Zealand. And, yeah, hopefully this made a bit of noise. And, and you know, it's not just about donating. It's about having conversations with your friends and family about how you might be able to help. So um, just trying to open people's eyes a little bit. And it was only a day's hard slog for me, but those kids are going through it pretty tough every day. Not just a day's hard slog, because uh, I don't imagine you, you just woke up and said, let's run a marathon. I mean, you planned in advance. Clearly, you had to train in advance. So, And obviously, you would be training uh, with bare feet as well to try and get yourself sort of uh, simulated to uh, the, the day itself? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You'd be surprised how quick your feet harden up um, after a few walks on the asphalt. Sort of takes me back to when I was a little kid, just running around the streets of Omaru and bare feet. Um, they harden up pretty quick. So, yeah, I basically have lived the last three or four months in bare feet, going everywhere in bare feet and doing lots of long runs with shoes on just to um, minimise the chance of, of injury. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of training, but I really enjoyed it. Um, you find you, you, your running changes a little bit in bare feet, but I think I've got stronger overall as a result. So it's not all hard slog, um, but yeah, just taking it back to that run, the, the heat was probably the worst part, the heat of the asphalt. Um, that was worse than, than ever, really, to be fair. So it's a bit like uh, when you, you go to the beach, you, you take your jandals off because you can't walk through the sand with your jandals on, and all of a sudden you find the, that sand um, is, is damned hot, uh, and it takes a bit of while, while getting used to it. Yeah, absolutely. There were certainly some stages in that run where I would have looked um, pretty funny with my running style. There's a lot of big intersections to cross that don't have much room to hide. Um, but I tried to run on the white line, so... Uh, you know, did a bit of research online about how to how to best manage it, and the white lines are actually a lot cooler than the, the black part of the road. So, um, yeah, that helped a bit. And there was a lot of support on the run, which which helped um, get me through. So, yeah, it was really awesome. So, what was your time? And during that, how often during the run did you think about just I've given it a go? Uh, I've tried, you know, I've given it a genuine effort, but I just simply can't make it any further it was at, at, at that stage or any of that stage during during the particular event oh yeah there were plenty of stages where i thought no that's enough this is getting silly um let's call it quits but you know you kind of just take it back to the the point of the run and yeah six six hours is what it took me or just under six hours out of my day a bit of pain is really nothing compared to what tens of thousands of kids are going through, you know, on a on a daily basis. And it's not just about no footwear for them. It's it's about not having, you know, safe food in the house and warm clothes in the middle of winter. So that really did help get me through. Um, another thing that helped me was just it sounds silly, but staying where your feet are. Someone told me that just stay where your feet are, meaning don't think about the finish line, don't think about how far you've um, just stay in the moment and, and try and engage with the people right around you and just the old cliche of one step at a time and all of a sudden you're at the finish line six hours later. 
six hours. Uh, that is a whole day's test cricket. That's the way I look at time, time spans. That's a whole day's test cricket on your feet, on your bare feet, pounding it out. I mean, what was the reaction of uh, people around you, the, the ones you passed or passed you or ran alongside you? A lot of pats on the back of people passing me because I didn't pass many people, um, which really helped, you know, just that little that little um, boost of support when you're going through a pretty tough spot. Lots of looks of amazement, but also looks of, you know, what the heck is this guy doing? That's, that's crazy. Um, so it all just helped G me up and, and get me going. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... I had never run a full marathon before, so that probably helped that I hadn't done that because it's a fairly long way. But um, <laughs> we gave it a crack and we we got it done. Okay, so um, is, is this something you do again, or <laughs> perhaps look at another way of of raising money for this cause that you're so deeply into? I don't know if I'd run this one again, um, but yeah, definitely really keen to make as much noise as possible about helping kids can um so yeah give me a couple of weeks and, and i'll think about something else no doubt but um yeah i think my barefoot marathons are, are put on hold for for a little while ben uh just finally um i mean is it still possible for people to uh, to help out a wee bit contribute a wee bit if, if it is how how do they go about it yeah thanks for the um you can find me online if you just search for Barefoot Benny uh, Auckland Marathon. That should get you to the link. Um, and it's on a website called Grassroots, uh, Grassroots, G-R-A-S-S-R-O-O-T-Z. They're the fundraising platform for the Auckland Marathon. So you'll find me there, Barefoot Benny. Um, look, any kind of donation is really appreciated, but also, again, just having a conversation with, with your family and friends and whanau about, you know, what the reality is out there for Kiwi kids and what you can do in your own community. Outstanding, Ben. Uh, I salute you because it's something I could never do. Um, and I've just got a text and saying, what an absolute good bugger from Matt. So uh, there's, there's sentiment out there for you, um, Ben, and uh, for what you've done and, and where the, the money's going to go to. So, hey, hey thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully it wasn't as painful as, as uh, the six hours uh, on the on the beat, mate. <laughs> thanks very much Smithy really appreciate your time cheers yeah cheers uh, folks uh, that is a genuine hero uh, Ben Cinnamon six hours pounding the Auckland streets uh, for charity uh, for kids camp so you heard uh, where you can uh, perhaps help out uh, just a small donation that uh, might contribute to a pair of shoes for a youngster around the country had no absolutely no idea so I knew there are people that, that are struggling out there in our society uh, but not to the extent that um, you can't have uh, a pair of shoes. Uh, goodness me. Uh, so getting behind that, out, outstanding. I think uh, around about $5,200 at the moment on Barefoot Benny. Let's uh, build that up if we possibly can. Uh, 9.43 here on uh, SENZ. More texts coming in with your suggested combinations for the bowlers and a theory or two about playing spin uh, here in New Zealand. Uh, we'll be back. Yeah, on SENZ in the mornings. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, 9.48 here on SENZ. Uh, all good, by the way, in the coming household, which is uh, great news. 
um, problem averted, I understand. So, um, Smithy, at least at test level, most are, are bloody good spin this time. Warren, Murali, um, Kadir, Vittori, Singh. Um, uh, Dino says, sorry about the spelling. All-rounders, uh, Viv Richards, Andrew Simons, Chris Ken, Steve Orr, Ben Stokes. Um, Inzamamol Huck, of course, uh, and uh, Gilchrist. Uh, or Javid Man Dad, <laughs> Jeremy Coney's paint drying commentary. What was that? Uh, Javid Man Dad and the kids. Yeah, I remember that well. So yeah, a, a few names coming in there. Uh, what we're looking for today predominantly is uh, the best bowlers you think you've seen, or the most rhythmical uh, bowlers that um, you perhaps would like to face. Perhaps bowlers you would not like to face, just for the heck of it. Uh, Alice has come in and said, "Smithy, I think it's a massive risk browning the wickets off here in New Zealand for the sake." Of the Test Championship, you must win your games at home. Um, it's too big a risk. Well, uh, what, the reason I say that, Alistair, I, I put that theory forward is because I think it's probably a, a, a just as good a way to beat South Africa. I look at South Africa and I don't think they're great players of spin because, they're, they're, like us, they don't use spin very often. Uh, so, therefore, uh, we, we're in a situation where what's the best way? Um, who's going to be the most effective bowlers against them? And... Uh, as I speak, uh, I, I kind of think they're coming off a series win over India um, where uh, they were able to get on top of uh, Ashwin every now and then and uh, the Indian spinners. Uh, but the problem for me is that if you're going to go hell for leather against them well, on green wickets with our seamers, they're going to come back. And uh, you know what our record's like losing the toss? And I'll bet uh, everything I've got that uh, the South African bowling attack is a bigger handful on a green pitch than the Bangladesh one. Uh, so that, that is um, my theory behind that John, so uh, uh, we'll just keep those coming in. Actually, double eight, double three. Yeah, and, interesting. Theory. And I'm just thinking with yeah. our batting compromised as well, Smithy, um, with no Ross and no Kane. You know that that even plays into your theory even more that um, we probably want to protect our top batsmen from uh, green seamers, uh, especially a guy like you know Henry Nichols potentially batting at four, and then a Daryl Mitchell at five. You'd want to make sure that they're not getting uh, nicked out and we're not, what, three or four down by lunchtime if we lose the toss and get put in. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that was a, a wonderful performance by uh, Latham Young and then Latham and Conway and Christchurch on a pitch which looked, honestly, like uh, your back lawn in the middle of winter. It was so damn green. It was uh, quite incredible. So the fact that we only lost one wicket on that day was the reason why we uh, won that test match so convincingly. Uh, but I, as I said, I, I think South Africa's bowling attack is going to be just a little bit uh, more threatening. Uh, Rabada in particular, I think I rate very, very highly in Guinea. Uh, there, there's a number of them who are, are rapid, accurate and confident after beating India. So uh, that, that to me is something I, I'm sure uh, they are thinking about. And I mean, I've simply got to have uh, Ajaz Patel in the squad, don't you, as an option. So, gosh. It's 9.51 here on uh, SENZ. Double eight, double three. Keep your communications coming in on those matters or anything else that uh, takes your fancy at the moment. We'll be back shortly. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold it. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today.
Well, the good news is we're three wins, uh, three losses, so uh, we're batting 500 at the moment. It's, uh, I think in terms of multis, pretty acceptable. I think if you'd put $10 on uh, each of those multis, you'd be around about 60 bucks a head at the moment. So uh, it's working well to begin the new year. Uh, and yesterday, of course, the Kansas City Chiefs got up in the, uh, right, in the dying seconds, really. It was an overtime uh, to beat the Buffalo Bills, uh, one of the great games of NFL, which we'll talk about after 11 o'clock in more detail. Um, Felix Auger uh, Alessiami, who beat um, Marlon Chilik uh, at a dollar sixty-eight, and uh, to pass uh, he, the Greek uh, freak, of course, um, outstanding player, very very popular. Beat Taylor Fritz, took him five sets though, a buck forty-eight. So we got that one home at four dollars thirty-seven. So we'll stay with the tennis today. It's been good for us. Um, so we'll go to the men's draw, and uh, the Italian Berrettini uh, is uh, playing Gal Monfils today. Uh, that's uh, at a dollar fifty-seven, so we'll stick with that. And the women's side of the draw, uh, Ash Barty to beat Pagula tonight at a dollar thirteen, and Kuchikova uh, to beat Keys at a dollar seventy-five. That's the value one for the day, but uh, she's playing well. Madison Keys uh, a bit hot and cold, so uh, I think Kuchikova will win that one. Uh, and then uh, I've gone back to basketball because uh, uh, the only team I trust in terms of uh, basketball in the NBA at the moment is the Phoenix Suns. And they're at a very, very small price of $1.21 to beat the Utah Jazz. But because it's the fourth element of the multi, it just adds value on top of it to $3.75. $3.75. Smithy, uh, I was, so good luck with that one. I yeah? was going to say, like, you've gone back to NBA. You, you've been on fire so far this year, three from six, and normally your odds come to 3 or $4. So that's winning, absolutely. But you've gone back to NBA. It's been your Achilles heel. What makes you so confident about the Phoenix Suns? Well, I just like the Phoenix Sun. Their uh, Phoenix Suns, their record is very good. I think uh, their team spirit is very good. Uh, I just, uh, I think with uh, Chris Paul, there, Devin Booker, they've got a really top-notch side playing well. So I like the Phoenix Suns, and at a dollar twenty-one, I think they're uh, pretty much a given there. And so that's really just adding twenty percent onto uh, the existing multi price. So that's why I've taken the risk on there. No one else, though. I'm not prepared to back anyone else uh, in the NBA. And the reason why is. Uh, I look at those NBA sides, John, and I just wonder where the, where the spirit is, where the club belief is, uh, because they get traded so damn often. You, you hardly get time uh, to feel as if you're part of the club, the city, the franchise, whatever. And I just wonder about, with such a long season, their motivation for turning up every day sometimes isn't there. So that's why it's a bit of a risk, but I think the sun's are good for it today. 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Time for Trudy. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Ten oh three, and it's getting down to the business end of the Australian Open Tennis Championships with uh, the men's and women's quarterfinals uh, set to uh, get underway and to help us uh, review and preview the action as a man who's been to the Melbourne Grand Slam countless times or but maybe he doesn't know how many times he's been there. That's uh, how often he has, Dave Worsley. So uh, I guess the first question is, can you remember when you first went and uh, and how many you've been to, Dave? I can remember when I first went because uh, we used uh, fax machines uh, at times and we used couplers to send audio down the phone. Computers weren't that good then. Uh, it was back in 1996. There you go. That was my first Aussie Open. And I did pretty much every one since 1999 bar... Well, I guess this year and last year have been uh, COVID years. Yeah, so anyway, it's a lot. It's over 20. 
Oh, that's cool. Who, who won? Do you remember who won the men's and women's respectively that year? Yeah, I remember it was Boris Becker beat Michael Chang in 96 because Brett Stephen was the only player to win a set off Becker in that tournament. Uh, Brett Stephen made it to the fourth round. The women's that year, who uh, was it? Monica Selish? No, no, she'd been stabbed. Um, I'm just trying to think who it was, actually. No, I can't remember. It's probably Steffi Graf. Okay, well, we're, we're talking legends there, way back legends there, and uh, legends are being made or starting to be made uh, with the current crop as well. Uh, but first, before we get to the tennis side of it, I, I see Craig uh, Tiley, who was uh, the Australian Open boss, who was embroiled on all the stuff around the Djokovic situation, has finally spoken up and said he's not taking any responsibility for the way it played out, and he will not be standing down. Now, I've got a feeling you said that would might be the last we see of him, but uh, not in his mind anyway, Craig Tiley. Yeah, but then uh, his board... Uh, then came out supporting him. Now, we know what happens when your board comes out supporting you as a coach or a manager or something, don't we? Uh, they also put out in their release in support of him, they didn't say his name. They said CEO, tournament director, which is kind of strange. Surely you'd say the name of your, of your boss, or well, not boss, of the uh, person that you're writing about, wouldn't you? I, I just found yeah, it very strange absolutely. that we are in support of our uh, tournament director, not Craig Tiley, tournament director, but in support of our tournament director. It was very strange. It was about 400 words of nothing, which didn't actually address anything and didn't say any names. Strange. It is strange. So we'll just see how that uh, plays out. It's such a big thing. It's, it's, uh, uh, to me, it's unlikely there won't be a casualty or two along the way somewhere. Uh, Battle of the left-handers uh, today in uh, one of the uh, men's quarterfinals with uh, Shapovalov uh, playing... Rafa Nadal, two left-handers, one a newbie, one with all the experience in the world. Canadians playing well, uh, this young uh, Canadian uh, going real good. Can he upset Nadal in your thinking? Well, he managed to beat uh, Zverev, one of my picks, in straight sets the previous round. Shapovalov is uh, playing, as you said, very well. Uh, so is Nadal. That's the minor technicality, although Nadal did have that marathon, one hour, 20 minutes or something like that, one hour, um, thereabouts. Uh, first set against Manorino and still won it, what was it, uh, 16-14 first set, ran away with the next two sets against Manorino, but uh, it just shows the guts and determination that it is so difficult to beat Nadal, even win a set of him, it's just incredibly difficult 16-14 in the first set of that match he, he's just such a gutsy player and so difficult to win a point off you know, you've got to look at the seedings here and go Nadal should win, he's playing so well but then Shapovalov has got the big shots, the big serve, the big everything, and he'll go for it. He's not going to try and get into long rallies against Nadal, because if he does, he'll lose. If he can just go for it and it comes off, well, he's in with a chance. But I've still got to say that Nadal is, uh, well, almost odds on to take Grand Slam at 21. Wow, OK. Uh, look forward to that. A lot of people are saying uh, Medvedev, but we'll get to Medvedev in a minute, because um, he's not till tomorrow. Uh, the other match today of real interest is uh, 35-year-old Gael Monfils, the Frenchman, of course, uh, against uh, a bloke who's 10 years younger and Matteo Berrettini, the Italian, who has had a really consistent record in majors of late. Yeah, he's played very well. He's made the quarterfinals or better of uh, how many of uh, the last Grand Slams. I think it's about half a dozen. Made, of course, the final of Wimbledon, the first Italian to do that forever. 
and uh, playing very, very well. I like his style of play. He can play all around the court. He's not just a, a real grinding baseliner. He's an attacking baseliner, another player who is tall. He's physically strong. I think uh, Berrettini will go through there, and he'll challenge Nadal or Shapovalov in the uh, semi-final. Uh, he could actually... Well, I mean, I've just said that Nadal will win everything, but Berrettini's a, he's a... An interesting bet. I'd have to have a look at uh, the odds there of uh, Berrettini against uh, Shapovalov or Nadal. We know that Montes can make it through the semifinals or Grand Slams. He's done it before. However, the consistency factor isn't really or has never been with uh, Montes. He's entertaining to watch. We'll see a set or two that's fun, but I don't actually see him uh, you know, going through and uh, winning this match. Even though he's uh, won his last match in straight sets, I still think Berrettini is uh, the better bet on that occasion. Okay, um, Daniel Medvedev uh, against uh, Felix Ogur uh, Aliasime, who is uh, probably pronounced differently than that, but from Canada. Uh, boy, is their tennis strong at the moment? Um, can he beat? Can he beat him? Can he beat Medvedev? Again, he's got the shots. Whether he's got the belief in himself to actually do it, uh, there's a big difference. You know, I've got all the shots in the world, but can I actually beat this guy? And the question comes into your mind, particularly against. Medvedev, who is very difficult to beat. He dropped a set in his previous round against Creasy from, uh, well, the French-American. But I still think Medvedev is playing too well at the moment. Agur-Alessimi, uh, his time will come. I see him probably in the next couple of years making a final. I'm just not sure if he can do it against Medvedev, who's just too consistent. Whereas Agur-Alessimi, uh, uh, he can do anything. I just don't know if he's got the winning shots to do it over three sets, over five sets. Uh, so I think I'll see Medvedev go through there and take on uh, the winner of Tsitsipas against Yannick Sinner. Well, that's an interesting one. Tsitsipas, I know he's a young, fit man, but he had to go the distance uh, against Taylor Fritz yesterday. Um, uh, pretty taxing conditions, of course. So there's a chance here that this uh, young, exciting uh, Italian could uh, topple the Greek tomorrow. Yeah, Sinner has been touted as uh, one of the players to watch for a couple of years now, and he's slowly making his way through. He's, uh, in the last few slams, he's uh, made an impact. He just hasn't actually taken it the full distance just yet. You know, he, he's one of these players who's got everything. It's about having the belief to beat a player who's ranked fourth in the world, a player who's made a slam final and does very well at the Australian Open, has all the Greek support, of course. Yeah, I just, um, I thought... I think Sinner's up for the upset here, actually, uh, in my mind. Uh, Sinner's got every shot possible. The fatigue factor on Tsitsipas, and he, he's a funny person off the court. He, he lets things worry him. He's uh, this philosopher, and he gives you big, long answers about uh, the world, but you're thinking, I didn't actually ask you that. He, he lets everything dwell on him a little bit, and I think that's where he could actually find himself struggling after a long match uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, I think Sinner's actually got the shots to beat him. Well, wait and see. Uh, on the women's side of the draw, uh, there's a great story developing here uh, with uh, the French uh, woman, Lisa Cornet. I, I hope that's right. It could be Cornet. Um, I only did four years at school. I should remember. Uh, but anyway, uh, 16 years. 16 years uh, and her 63rd Grand Slam. Um, this lady uh, at uh, the age of 32 has finally made a quarter and the emotion was obvious. Yeah, Lisa Cornet, yep, you dropped the T. Uh, she is a bit of a fiery character. You know that whatever court she's on, there will be drama. 
and it, she's brilliant at drama. Sometimes not so brilliant on the shots, but she is brilliant at drama. She's made the quarterfinals so many times. Well, this is the sorry, this is the first time she's made it to the quarterfinals. Um, Sixteen Grand Slams in a row, some some amazing record. That's a long time. Uh, she's played in Auckland before. She has drama written all over her face. You just look at her expressions. No matter what she's doing, there is drama. It's it's fantastic to watch in a in a certain certain environment. I remember when she beat uh, Marina Rakovic in three sets uh, a few years back at the Aussie Open. There was drama queen. There was the referee called. There was everybody called. There was you know she phoned home. She did everything. She's that sort of player. You know you're going to get that. However, she may just have pushed it a little bit too far in this next match against uh, Daniel Collins, who is actually similar in a way, does very well at the Australian Open, but also creates drama when she plays. So if you want to watch drama, if you want to watch um, a uh, soap opera, well, watch this game between Collins and Cornet. If you want to watch some tennis, I'd recommend um, Ash Barty. Well, uh, we can watch uh, Ash Barty tonight against Jessica Pagula. Um, and I kind of figure this is... Uh, this is a bit of a cakewalk, this one, uh, with the conditions, with the crowd, with the incentive, etc., and the way that uh, the Australian is playing. Uh, it would be a major upset for her not to, to win this one tonight. Yeah, true. It wouldn't that peeve off the crowd. Uh, if uh, Pagula mm. came through and they're saying, we don't even know how to say this woman's name. We can't say oi, 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 or we can't do the uh, Ronaldo uh, Sui uh, to this one. So, yeah, it really looks like Ash Barty should go through on there and play against Barbara Krishkova, who is uh, the French Open champ. Although Madison Key, uh, if she has her radar on, hits the ball so powerfully that she's difficult to get back. It's just that the radar doesn't always switch on. So I think we're looking at no, Barty against Krishkova there. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. That's good. Uh, I, I, like, I look forward to that match-up, of course. Um, uh, the number two seed disappearing last night, so that was uh, an interesting result. Okay, let's look at the, the Kiwi interest in this, and it's uh, it's okay too. Uh, Michael Venus and uh, Tim Putz taking on Kyrgios and Fakanakis in the doubles quarterfinals. Uh, they'll have to overcome a fairly partisan crowd and some histrionics, I would imagine, to do it, but they're good enough, Venus and Putz. Oh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great match. Uh, that's around about 5.30 New Zealand time. It's on the Kia Arena, which takes... 5,000 people, uh, so they should be five uh, or 4,998 in support of um, Australia and um, one German and one Kiwi. So it should be a fun match, that one. An interesting comment that's come out from a former Australian player is that perhaps Nick Kyrgios and uh, Kokonakis should actually focus on doubles, being doubles professionals rather than singles because their singles rankings have shrunk or fallen so badly outside the top 100. Maybe they could be top doubles combinations around the world and really get doubles fired up because uh, wherever they go, people want to watch them and you're going to have all these skills and ability up against the more stable, I wouldn't say old-fashioned doubles, but the power doubles of uh, Venus and Butes against uh, the do-anything-anytime-anywhere-sometimes-come-off against Kokonakis and Kyrgios. It's going to be a really interesting match to watch, um, but there's going to be two different styles, that's for sure. Mm. Well, Venus is also scheduled to play uh, mixed doubles quarterfinals today uh, with our very own Aaron Routliff. Uh, this is uh, an exciting combination as well. Yeah, it's good. Uh, in fact, Aaron Routliff won every single point on her first serve when she got it in, except she didn't always get it in. That was a minor technicality, but that was a good uh, win that they had the previous round over, over Tim Putes and uh, Guachi. 
So there's up against uh, Madanovic from France, a very good doubles player, and Dodig uh, from Croatia. They're very good um, doubles team as well. But you know, still, it's good pocket money for Erin Ralfless. Uh, she lost in the first round of the doubles. So there's some extra cash. Great. You know, they'll take me around the world a bit more. And for Michael Venus as well. So it's actually only one match in between the doubles quarter for um, before they play the mixed quarter. So he's going to be living on... Um, the Kira Arena court uh, for all of today. So those matches starting from around about 5.30 New Zealand time and then the uh, mix will be sort of probably about 8.30 New Zealand time. Medvedev's an interesting character because um, he's uh, pretty outspoken on a few things. He's, what has he, wound up the Aussie crowd. He's, uh, he's wound up uh, a few people uh, during this tournament as well. And uh, last night he got uh, into the duration of toilet breaks being too short now because they've been reduced to three minutes, which is incidentally the same time you're allowed to look for your golf ball these days if you lose it. So uh, I don't know why I drew that comparison, but that is three minutes. Uh, and I think you can get five minutes if you change your apparel. What's, what's your reading on that? Well, I, I've never timed myself. Um, and I guess the thing is, yeah. <laughs> Travel I mean, time. People, no, yeah, I, no, it's one of those things. I mean, how long should a toilet break be? The thing is that if you're playing in the heat and you do need to go to the bathroom, well, you know, what do you do? And, you know, you've got people watching you. You've got to try and relax for a minute, I guess. Uh, we're getting into dangerous territory here. Uh, it, it's just one of those things. I mean, it, it's when people abuse the toilet breaks. And that used to be happening a lot, particularly in the mm. women's tennis. Uh, you know, it was, it was being abused. And there's certain players. Uh, Sitsipas was constantly having a toilet break. Other players were getting annoyed at it. And the toilet breaks always seem to come at a vital stage of the match. You know, just when, ah, great, you know, one player is saying, I've got momentum. And then suddenly, I need a toilet break. The opposition goes and says, I need a toilet break. And momentum changes. So it comes down to players overusing a toilet break. And then I'm saying, look, I really do need to go. I've been out in the court for three hours. It's stinking hot. And, you know, my body says, <laughs> you know, go. Well, the fans uh, have got unlimited time if they want to go. That's what intrigues me. I mean, they can go, Well, you know? Yeah, well, the only problem is there. You've got to get let back in after a change of ends, and it seems like forever sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, but they also they pay for it, whereas the players are getting paid. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's one of those kind of weird things. I mean, uh, I don't really want to know about people's toilet habits that much, um, but it's very okay. visible. And in, in, in that sense, it's very kind of visible. I mean, do you, did you actually, if you as a wicketkeeper, did you ever have, you couldn't have a toilet break, could you? No, I don't remember. Um, I've got great stories of colleagues and uh, opposition players and their uh, uh, problems in the middle of the park over the years, particularly well, in the uh, there was you and Chatfield. But, mm, what about you and Chatfield yeah, coming into bowl and then they kept on running and kept on running and kept on running past you and uh, into the locker room? That was in India yeah. at that time, was it about 89 or something like that? Yeah, there about, was, yeah um, about 80, 88, yeah. He kept running in and then just kept running straight past the slip forward and up into the grandstand and said, where, where the hell are you off to, Chats? And then uh, he just pointed to his uh, rear end and we could see exactly where he was going and why. Um, so it actually, I, I just quite uh, interesting in there, just, um, it adds new interest to the saying change of ends when it comes to tennis. But having said that, Dave, I very much appreciate your time this morning and your analysis uh, and we shall catch up with you again before the end of the tournament. Enjoy the day's play, most importantly. Thank you. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, it is 10.19 here on SENZ. Uh, we have a panel coming up very shortly.
From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Acclaimed journalist uh, Mark Hinton with us this morning, as well as uh, TVNZ's uh, Guy Havelt. Uh, I'll start with you, Guy. Uh, good morning to you. Uh, you were one of the co-hosts of the uh, the Black Clash, which uh, was at the, the Bay Oval. It seemed as if uh, it was a raging success. Morning, Smilly. Morning, Mark. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, um, I think, probably the best one yet. Uh, partly because of the crowd. The crowd was just loving every second of it. It was absolutely packed into Bay Oval, which, as you know, Smithy, is, is fast becoming one of the best grounds in the country in terms of cricket anyway, uh, on a beautiful night. And, you know, the likes of Tom Walsh, Kieran Reid, um, you know, showed their, their prowess in terms of cricket. And then we, we saw the return of Shane Bond, and he got ramped by Brendan McCullum. Um, you know, there was some great cricket. And, I've, I, you know, it's one of those events that, that some people love to hate uh, and vocalise their hate of it. But, you know, and, and I'll go right back to the start. I, I, knew, I didn't watch the first one. I, I was kind of like, oh, this might be a bit naff. And then I watched the second one and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then obviously I've been involved in the last two. I'm probably slightly biased, but um, it's just a bit of fun. It's really all it is. It's a bit of fun watching some of New Zealand's sporting legends um, trying their hand at cricket and then seeing some cricketers of yesteryear having having another crack. Um, yeah, I thought it was thought it was a great night. Mark Hinton, does it uh, does it spin your wheels, or you you look at it and think it is what it is, and, and just enjoy it uh, yeah. while it's on? Well, a bit of both, Smithy. I've got to say, uh, I'm a bit of a skeptic for these kind of created sporting events, these kind of celebrity um, things, you know, we've, we see it across a few different sports and often it, they hit a bit of a flat note for me, but um, I agree with Guy. I, I actually watched the game um, and uh, was sort of channel hopping a bit and then was almost transfixed watching it. I think it worked. I think it was a real success. And, and the numbers at the game and the TV numbers are the key things here and they're both huge. Um, obviously, there was a massive crowd there, but the TV ratings, I know last year were off the charts, and they're probably yet to come in for this year, but I'm sure they were very good again. Look at Smithy, it achieves the balance for me. There's that kind of, um, you know, celebrity wow factor of seeing people a little bit outside their comfort zones or people kind of in, in uh, sporting sort of situations we're not used to seeing them. But it was also just a great contest. It really was. I mean, it, it, it did work for me, you know. And whether that was a little bit created or not, I don't know. I don't know if the cricket guys kind of taken a little bit easy. But to see Kieran Reid and Will Jordan batting so well, as Guy mentioned, Tom Walsh, you know, big burly guy, and his, and his efforts. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it was just fascinating and it was entertaining. So it ticked all the boxes. Um, for me, and I've I got to say I was a sceptic coming in. I hadn't watched any of the previous ones, only in little little bits and pieces, but I sat through this one. And look, look, if they could continue to, to, to perform at a level like this, you know, in terms of the actual cricket, it will stay on the map. And, and look, one other comment about Guy's role, I thought he was a brilliant balance between those ACC commentary guys who are on another planet, <laughs> those guys. They're very entertaining <laughs> in their own right and got... Guy brought the appropriate professionalism just to balance out that kind of zaniness. So an enjoyable product all, all round, Smitty. 
Very yeah, kind of you, like Mark. Thank well you. I'll, if I, I'll, I'll just jump in there, Smithy. One, one thing I'll say off the back of what Mark says, I think what they do well compared to maybe other celebrity games is that they do actually make sure that they can play cricket. Uh, and I think that's quite important. It's not just a... It's not just getting celebrities together for the sake of it and, and, and hoping that they can play. They know that these guys are able to roll their arm over. They know, they know that some of them are able to swing the bat. And so it actually makes for a decent sporting watch while they're not exactly professional players, if that all makes sense. So I think they've got that balance mm. right. Um, but, yeah, thank you, Mark, for your comments. I appreciate that. Well, Guy, if, uh, rated very well, and obviously uh, it sounds like it did, which is great. Um, American television, and particularly for football fans, would have rated through the roof yesterday because uh, they're at quarterfinal stage, though they were. Uh, the last of the two were played yesterday. It's been an amazing uh, four rounds, and, and the game uh, yesterday, the last game between the Chiefs and uh, the Buffalo Bills was, was one right out of the box. Yes, really, I'm not a massive NFL fan, um, but I, as Mark probably knows, I spend a bit of my time on Twitter. Uh, and when Twitter starts lighting up with, with people who do also don't watch NFL and are getting right into it, then you know you've probably got to switch it on, at least for the end. I managed to do that for two games um, over the weekend. And yeah, you're right. I, I mean, they, they just seem to be able to bring some, some insane level of excitement. Uh, and... You know, for a while there, I thought Tom Brady was going to do it again, and he probably should have. They, they they blew it towards the end. They probably, I don't mean him, it really, really wasn't his fault in the end, but, you know, they, they, they actually should have got it done in the end, um, and wouldn't that have been remarkable? But, yeah, four games that have gone down to the wire. Uh, the NFL just, just seems to be able to do it time and time again. Mark Hinton is with us, uh, along with Guy Havelt this morning. We'll take a, a short news break uh, with Trudy, and then we come back. Let's look at, uh, we've got a couple of favourites at the Winter Olympics coming up. How damned exciting is that? Uh, here's Trudy. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Guy Havelt and Mark Hinton uh, with us this morning. And Mark, uh, I, I don't know how, how over the top or, or au fait you are, should I say, with your backside stomping or your melon grabbing, but if you're going to write articles about the Winter Olympics coming up, you might have to be my friend. Nico Porteous, Zoe Sadowski, Sinnott are favourites in their respective events. And, man, are they uh, going in at the right time because they are at the peak of their powers, it seems. Yeah, absolutely, Smithy. Look, but, um, there's no doubt about it. These two kids, I call them kids, but, you know, young athletes, young, uh, young sports people, um, are two of the hottest properties in New Zealand sport at the moment, and they should be getting us all excited about winter sports, and particularly the Winter Olympics coming up in Beijing, because these two are legitimate gold medal contenders. We've just seen them take um, three gold medals between them from the X Games in Aspen, which sets the scene beautifully for Beijing, doesn't it? And listen, you know, I just, I've just gone through the process of doing the um, Helberg evaluations. I'm a judge on the panel, and, you know, there's a lot to sift through. These... These two, with their, you know, I guess kind of, we might call it esoteric because we don't really watch a lot of winter sports as a rule in New Zealand, but these two are legitimately right up at the top end of New Zealand sport now with what they're achieving now on a consistent basis. Um, and, and, and they may go to the next level in Beijing. Uh, uh, Nico Porteous, the um, freestyle skier, he won gold in Aspen. And, of course, uh, Zoe uh, Sadowski-Sinnott, 
won double gold and I think won the overall um, athlete of the of the X Games in Aspens with her um, slope style big air uh, snowboarding. So two two people that New Zealanders need to get across, absolutely have to get across because you are going to be hearing a lot about them, you are going to be reading a lot about them. What they do is a little bit different. This is the new wave of winter sport. It's not just skiing through uh, poles, smithy. It's you know doing stuff artistically, doing stuff you know with judging components. I mean, it really is very interesting, and I, I think they're about to educate five million New Zealanders because it's time to get excited. Yeah, I think you're right, and um, you know I, I think uh, we've we've undervalued uh, the Winter Olympics and uh, the commercial side of it, etc. Guy Havelt. Uh, I, I think um, PBNZ in particular are going to be running some serious stories about these two and uh, perhaps some stories behind the scenes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan Offit's going over there for us. I think she leaves in a couple of days, so she'll be hard at work, not only following them, but you know the likes of Alice Robinson and a couple of others as well. I mean, think back to, to probably, what, two, three Winter Olympics ago, all we would have been, and this is no disrespect to them, but all we would have been talking about was the Wells brothers. Now we're talking about a range of different Kiwi athletes who are genuine chances of going over to Beijing and winning medals. And like Mark says, I, I, I feel like this should be the norm for New Zealand. You know, we've got some great mountains in New Zealand. We've got some great um, facilities available to us. Um, and, and, you know, we should be doing big things on the winter stage. And we finally are. Um, and, and, you know, as I say, we've got genuine chances of bringing back not only one or two medals, but, but probably a handful at that. Uh, and that's a very exciting prospect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a big winter guy myself. Don't really hit the slopes at all. But um, it's one of those things that whenever the Winter Olympics rolls around, I'll, I'll be in front of the TV trying to watch as much as I can. And, and um, uh, the, the time zone is actually pretty good at what our Beijing, I think, five hours behind or something. So it should, there should be a yep. lot of events that we should be able to watch early in the evening or late into the evening um, and, and see some Kiwis win, win some big medals and do some great things on the world stage. Guy, we're getting to the business end, of course, of the Australian Open. Here we are at the start of the second week. And uh, what has uh, caught your attention uh, on either side of the draw there? I've got to be honest, Smithy, not a lot. Uh, I've struggled with it this time. Ash Barty's been absolutely unbelievable uh, and should waltz through to take that title. She is just a phenomenon at the moment, uh, and I love watching her. Uh, I, I, but outside of that, yeah, not, not a lot. Um, I think it's been quite disappointing. Uh, I think we're, we're possibly seeing uh, the next five, ten years. Uh, now I'm probably now talking more on the men's side, but, but possibly relates to the women as well. I know in the women you've got Radicanu and, and, and hopefully Barty can go a little bit longer. Um, so you've got some people there who might, might be able to go for a few more years, particularly Radicanu. But in the men, you know, we very soon we'll lose Djokovic, Federer and Nadal in one foul swoop. And um, I, I think that's a concern. I, I don't, none of the other guys who are coming through, Medvedev's a very good player, but I don't find him that exciting to watch. Tsitsipas uh, is good and good, and, but can be a bit flaky at times. Uh, I think we're going from, from a period of absolutely phenomenal viewing in terms of men's tennis to um, not a lot. And uh, that disappoints me, and I think we've seen a glimpse of it at this, this Australian Open. Are you worried about tennis, Mark, in your own way of thinking? No, I'm a, I'm a bit of a tennis fan. It was my sort of number two sport as a kid, and I've always sort of followed it. Um, 
I, I think we are going to see, as Guy touched on, a little bit of the end of the Nero scenario in the men's game particularly, and in the women's with the Williams sisters and uh, sort of now sort of on their way out. So, uh, you know, we always worry about these things and where's the next wave going to come from, but inevitably sport produces them. Uh, the next guys come through. There are some exciting young players. There's guy, you know, on the men's side of it, you know, Berrettini, the big Italian, the big hitter, um, Shapovalov, um, Sitsipas is, uh, you know, the Canadian, Augier, Alassane, or however you say his name, look, it's a bit tricky, uh, but he's a hell of a player. I mean, there are some good young players coming through. Um, it's just that they, you know, they're not yet at the level of those ones. But look, the old guy, while he's still in the draw, Rafael Nadal, and has the chance to uh, go one ahead of our old mate Novak Djokovic, I think, you know, there is plenty of interest still in this Australian Open on the men's side, you know, and, and, and you have to think in the dull um, mid-the-dead final looks on. Um, the women's, you know, and, and on the women's side of it, Ash Barty, you've got to love her, a real Aussie battler that really wrings the most out of herself, and it looks wide open now for her to, to win another major on her home court. So, um um, yeah, the woman's side perhaps not as captivating for me as the men, but I will be following Ash Party. Look, the, the next wave will come through. It may take a year or two, Smithy, but this is sport, and sport always comes up with the next champion. Well, speaking of that, Mark Hinton, uh, we've lost the champion at number four from Ross Taylor in the Black Caps batting lineup. There is speculation I'm hearing that uh, Kane Williamson's elbow is still an issue. There is a possibility Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor may not play at three and four for us. Uh, that would be the first time in, like, forever we didn't have either of them. So how are we looking all of a sudden against South Africa, Mark? A bit bristly, especially when they, uh, South Africa, come. I'm not sure of the strength of their squad they'll bring, but that was a great um, series result they had against India. Um, perhaps we've been kind of a little bit writing the South Africans off, but that showed when when their minds and their, uh, are attuned and when they're, you know, everything's running well for them, they are still a very, very good cricket team and there's World Championship um, te- uh, test uh, points at stake. So it's an important series for the Black Cats. Look, without, suddenly without Taylor and if Williamson doesn't make it, that is a concern. Look, you've got a guy like Henry Nichols at five who, who's an absolute, you know, mainstay of the batting lineup now, but, you know, he's, he's inconsistent still, you know. So who comes in? Well, for me... I think Glenn Phillips becomes now the the guy, you know, his next cab off the rankers in his smithy. You follow the game a lot closer than I do, but just seems taking the pulse of cricket at the moment. Glenn Phillips seems to be the guy likely to step in and get his chance. You know, he hasn't played a lot of Red Bull cricket, has he? So if he's the guy that's coming in, you've got Devin Conway, of course, who will shore up that sort of three and four area as well. We all know how good he is. Um, but Glenn Phillips, a lot of pressure on him. And, and and Nichols, I believe, even though he will definitely be there, he needs to continue to produce runs on a consistent basis. So that top five um, is, to me, a major concern going into the South African series. And can Glenn Phillips, I guess, um, cement a spot in, in there as the as the heir apparent to Ross Taylor? Okay, well, it's uh, interesting from you, Mark. Uh, thanks for that, uh, Guy. Um, you, you, I would imagine we'll be looking at this very closely as well, particularly if the uh, Williamson thing does uh, come to fruition where he is unable to play. It's still two to three weeks away that uh, South Africa are here. But uh, what's your take on it? I saw Kane Williamson in the weekend at the Black Clash. He was sitting on it as a fan. He seemed 
seemed happy. I, I didn't ask him about the elbow. I'm sure he, he gets, uh, you know, as a journo, I probably should have, but he was there as a fan, so I didn't want to interrupt him too much. Um, look, uh, yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, it's similar to the tennis thing. You lose three of the greats, and then you wonder where the next person's coming through. Uh, same situation here. You lose Ross Taylor, obviously, permanently now. You lose possibly Kane Williamson, as you say, and, and that opens up a bit of a gap. Um, I think I think Mark might be right. Maybe Glenn Phillips is one who, who comes into the frame. I wonder whether they might finally give someone like Dane Cleaver a go. Uh, he's been very good now in domestic cricket for some time. I wonder if he could slot in there or whether they look at, at, at someone like Daryl Mitchell, who I know would usually probably bat a little bit down the order, but has shown that he is more than up to the task of, of, of batting in a test match and I think could probably fill that role uh, fairly well. Or do they, do they start blooding, and this is a massive call, but do they start blooding someone like Ravindra higher up um, in that role? I'm not sure whether that's the best idea, but I, I wonder whether they might possibly try that out. So, look, they've got a few options, um, but as both you and Mark say, uh, I don't think, with all due respect, any of them really match up to, to a 3-4 of, of Williamson and Taylor. Uh, Williamson replaced by Conway is... is, is Fantastic and, and doesn't worry me too much, but yeah, that that four spot, uh, you do start to you do start to get a little bit concerned, Smithy. Okay, uh, Guy Havelt there with his thoughts, Mark Hinton, as well on a number of issues. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, as always, we will have another panel uh, around about uh, twenty past ten tomorrow morning. We've got a few texts to talk about, uh, as well as uh, a catch up with Louis, uh, possibly, uh, and the TAB before eleven o'clock. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, uh, it's 10.48 here on SENZ and a few uh, cricketing thoughts uh, are coming in uh, from various people. Uh, massive risk, uh, people are saying, uh, if we brown off our wickets here. I'm not quite so sure about that, but uh, I, I do uh, believe that uh, we're a chance, but... Uh, I'd like to see us bring spin into the game more in this country. Uh, Harrison Marker has come in and said, Smithy, we need to play our batter, to our better strengths. Let's not forget the fact that Ajaz had the game of his life, but our team was comprehensively beaten. It's about the best tactic for the team. Uh, Smithy, if Kane can't play against South Africa and with the series against Australia on hold, uh, could it be that Ross Taylor could uh, come out of a retirement already? Uh, that is Craig from Bay of Plenty. Not beyond the realms of possibility, but not really a step forward, is it? Perhaps the selectors will probably be thinking, uh, let's find out if uh, it comes to that. I'm not saying Kane Williamson's out. I'm just saying, uh, you know, with the, the possibility of this elbow, which has ruled him out of so much cricket in the last 12 to 14 months, perhaps uh, it is a likelihood. Uh, and if it is, what are the contingencies? Will Jordan or uh, Kieran Reid for number three or four after the weekend? How about that? I'm thinking more along the lines of Tom Walsh because in the saying of cricket, they say um, your ability to handle a heavy ball, I can't think of anyone in the country better equipped to handle a heavy ball than Tom Walsh. It's 10.50 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan.
Well, as usual, uh, Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, in this uh, little slot. And uh, Louis, um, a bit of, um, I-, I won't say you had a hangover, but there's a little bit of a hangover after uh, Caraca. Uh, it's been and gone uh, in a flash, actually. What are your memories of uh, that magnificent night at Ellerslie? Oh, man, Smithy, doesn't it? Just It only feels like yesterday you were up in Auckland and we were so filled with anticipation. And I guess my memories of the night was that it was a day for the punters, really. There were bets on offer. Tutakaka top four was just a, a, a screaming bet. Babylon Berlin looks like a, a, she was going to be hard to stop, and she was. And the OP factor on Dynastic and, and Wolverine running a, a tidy second, there was a Quinella that made a lot of sense. So it was a day for the punters. Um, it was a day for class. And it was a day for, I think, from a breeding perspective that we don't talk too much about here, Smithy, but Al Manzor. Mm-hmm. A champion, the Europeans' champion three-year-old, who is the sire of Dynastic, standing at Cambridge Stud, sires his first Southern Hemisphere winner in a million-dollar race, which is huge for Brendan and Joe Lindsay's business at Cambridge Stud, but it puts New Zealand on the breeding map again. Having Al Manzor kicking goals, and he was always going to be a certainty, but having him kicking goals like this, the, the, the horses, the, the yearlings are selling fast around the world, and I think they're going to be even better three-year-olds. So there's so many different aspects. What about you, mate? What was your highlight of the night? Unfortunately, on the bubbles, obviously, couldn't get the job done for Jared and the crew. No, that was a major disappointment, and I'm not quite sure whether we've heard the last of that, but maybe we have. Um, yeah, no, that, that was the downside of it. But, hey, um, there's just the continued dominance, really. I mean, the Lindsay factor is huge now, but the Tiako dominance, the Tangerine Army, uh, Louis, of course, said, uh, doubling up on, on the $2 million events again. And Jamie's uh, farewell, if it is, uh, from uh, the Karaka meeting, uh, just as successful as uh, he would have hoped. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah. Pin me up. He did tell us that was the roughy. I don't think they knew it was working huge. The, I don't think they knew the filly was working that big. You know, she was she was enormous. Um, Tudakaka in the Derby, Smithy, wasn't he unreal? He just bounded out mm. with the blinkers on. He looks like the real deal. So well done if you got any futures on that. But Tudakaka in the derby, the half-brother of Melody Bell, I think he could be a bit of a star. Okay, Louis, thanks for that. Uh, we're going to head across to uh, Brendan Popwell at the TAB, who was, of course, uh, very busy over the weekend as well. Uh, BP, before we get into today, uh, successful, uh, successful day out, wasn't it? Most totally. It was a great day out. Um, Hunters won um, across the board in terms of favourites uh, winning and an upset in the last race, but it was trained by Jamie Richards, so there was still enough on it. So, um, yeah, look, overall, a, an amazing day. Um, you can't beat it, can you? Did you enjoy yourself? I did, actually. Um, I think I'm a little old for the Stella Artois party area. I think I discovered that, BP. Um, I think <laughs> if, I, if I go in the future, uh, it might be somewhere a little cooler and a little emptier. We'll just say that. Uh, having said that... Uh, <laughs> Pretty hot, pretty hot action at the TAB, uh, of course, with the Australian Open prevalent uh, in, the, in the betting side of things. It, it certainly is, Smithy. And, and, and Kitschikova uh, coming up in the match at 2.30 against Madison Keys has been our best-back player so far since markets uh, for these matches coming up today. Uh, around the $1.75 quote at the moment, but I can tell you one punter is keen to step into that price. We've seen $2,000 laid down this morning on Kitschikova to beat Madison Keys. Ash Barty running through all the multis. Of course, that'll be tonight uh, at around the dollar thirteen, uh, and we've also seen money around uh, Rafa Nadal, another one that's uh, keen to be run through multis 
at $1.36. The Australian Open has been uh, a tournament where punters are keen to butter up, and I'm sure we'll see that again later on with Michael Venus around 5.30, but he's been good support for the Kiwi in the doubles match. Thanks very much, uh, BP. Yeah, he's uh, in action in the doubles and in the mixed doubles, Michael Venus. So uh, a lot of Kiwi interest. It's 11 o'clock here on SENZ NFL after the break. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here on SENZ. That is uh, New Zealand time uh, in Australia. Uh, of course, uh, slightly earlier, and uh, that's where we find uh, Jared Cronin, who uh, is uh, an SEN colleague of ours, uh, but also a renowned expert on the NFL. Uh, and Jared, uh, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We just had to get you on because of what unfolded uh, in those divisional matches, uh, just going through them, the Bengals uh, 19, the Titans 16, uh, the 49ers upsetting the Packers 13 to 10. Uh, Tom Brady going out at the hands of the LA Rams, so 30-27, to 27, and perhaps the game of all games yesterday, uh, 42-36. Uh, I would imagine, Jared, uh, as we say good morning to you, uh, the Chiefs' bills was probably, in the end, the expected result to the Chiefs, but uh, a certain amount of upset quality about what happened. Oh, huge weekend, Smithy. It was a, uh, a wonderful weekend of upsets, and after a bit of an underwhelming super, uh, super wildcard round, uh, the divisional round really did make up for it. As you say, those games that were played uh, over the weekend were some, you know, basically stunning results. Uh, three out of four games went to the uh, the the underdog, which was great, and then of course finished off by that Chiefs Bills game, which was, oh, that was just something special. Uh, that was one of the uh, the all time great matches for uh, for NFL history. I couldn't quite believe what unfolded uh, in those last two minutes of. Normal action, something like 25 points. 25 points as the lead chopped and changed. Uh, Chiefs coach Andy Reid, uh, head coach for the Bills, uh, Sean McDermott. Uh, I mean, their emotions, uh, they have to keep them in check, but you think you've won, you think you've lost. That was the most amazing spectacle I think I've seen in sport for a while. Yeah, it was, it was really incredible, wasn't it? And it was a funny one because... You almost knew you were about to witness something incredible, especially with these two quarterbacks that they have. Patrick Mahomes for the Chiefs, obviously uh, a fantastic player. And now Josh Allen, who is really on a par with him at the moment. They're both playing at a similar level. Neither of them clearly were you know, wanting to lose that game. They really had their heart set on it. And to be fair, neither of them deserved to lose uh, because they both played fantastically well. I actually felt as though both the Bills and Chiefs defenses they actually did quite a lot to disrupt what these guys wanted to do a lot of the game, but they still managed mm-hmm. to get through and, and make a lot of plays and, and get a bunch of touchdowns with, you know, Josh Allen throwing for four touchdowns and Patrick Mahomes still threw for three and, and ran for one as well. So despite all of these wonderful schemes on defense and all of the armory coming at them, they were still able to get the plays and, and you know, rack up a, a wonderful score. And that finish was, that was just something else that was out of this world. Well, with about three seconds to go, uh, they, in normal time, of course, Mahomes had got uh, them to a point down the field very quickly. I think he had 30 seconds, uh, 13 seconds to work with. Uh, talking about nine seconds and two plays to get them in field goal range, which put a lot of pressure on Harrison Butker. 49-yard field goal. I mean, we see stationary kicks in this country of 50, 60 yards every now and then, but under that kind of pressure, um, they kind of overlook species a wee bit, the field goal kickers, until those moments. 
Indeed. And really, it was probably the weekend of the kicker in a sense because three of the games were won by, uh, you know, walk-off field goals. And then, of course, as you say, Harrison Butker there keeping the Chiefs alive to go into overtime. It was um, it was definitely something special for the kickers and, and they got a lot of credit for it, which is great. And as you mentioned, that it is a lot harder to do a field goal kick uh, in the NFL because there's a lot of moving parts. You have to have a guy do a long snap of the ball back to your holder and they need to catch it and set it up for you to, to get your timing right and kick it. And then you've also got a, a bunch of, you know, six foot seven guys trying to charge it all down. So uh, there is a lot of things going on for kickers over and above just actually kicking it through the post. So um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful pressure kick from Harrison Butker and, and a number of these kickers really did earn their money over the divisional round. So uh, let's look at uh, a couple of high-profile individuals that will now no longer be involved uh, in this this particular season. They won't be at Super Bowl. Uh, let's first of all talk about uh, the future. Uh, what do you believe of uh, Aaron Rodgers? Now, he started the season with all sorts of conjecture, finished the season prematurely on an unhappy note. So where are we with um, a man who I guess is destined for the Hall of Fame, but what about his career from here? Yeah, interesting with Aaron Rodgers because it has been it's been quite a roller coaster of a season off the field for him. Uh, he's had a controversy following him from from the off season really and, and throughout the uh, the year as well. And through all of that, he's managed to play great football, except for the playoffs, uh, and also the team around him has played really well also. So. Uh, he said that he's not keen for a, uh, a rebuild, which the Packers are, are possibly heading towards at some point. You get the impression that this was really their window to win this year because as we head into next season, they start to run into a bunch of salary cap issues, which means they're going to have to offload a bunch of players or restructure deals. And, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers could well be amongst that sort of movement of, of players to go elsewhere. He's had a lot of problems with the management of the Packers over the time he's been there. Uh, it seems like they may have, you know, just mended fences a little bit throughout the year to to carry on and succeed. But um, I guess, it, yeah, it gets to the point now where he starts to question himself as to what he wants to do, if he wants to carry on with the Packers and whatnot. I would say Green Bay would be very well uh, intent on keeping him, um, despite the fact that the, really the Packers have now become the modern-day version of the New Orleans Saints and that they are all conquering through the season and then seem to blow it at home in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting interesting story to see what will happen and no doubt there will be wall-to-wall media coverage of it so um you know every time aaron Rodgers sneezes for the next three months or so we will know know all about it well tom brady is another name uh, always uh, at this time of the year when the season is over for him people uh, look to see if uh, he can basically be bothered again um i'm not quite sure he wants to go out on a, on a note uh, a losing note of that nature again it was a very very close match and then, of course, you look at one of his great receivers in Rob Gronkowski, who was lured back to play for the Buccaneers. I just wonder about that combination. Yeah, well, I mean, you never really can say never with Tom because well, he just keeps on going and going. And to be fair, there was no real drop-off in his play this year. If anything, he may have actually played even better, one of his better, better seasons in the NFL. So... In terms of the the you know the the performance standpoint, I think Tom is probably looking pretty good. Uh, he may have that extra chip on his shoulder that he is very good at you know um, getting because going out in the uh, the playoffs like that at home uh, in the manner that they did it was it was a largely disappointing loss for them. 
I mean, they only lost in the end by three points thanks to a, a miraculous sort of comeback and really a bit of a choke from the LA Rams there down the, the home stretch. But uh, for large parts of that game, they were completely destroyed by the Rams. So I can imagine that a guy like Tom would not be happy to sit on that and go out like that. But, you know, never say never. I guess he's uh, he's, he's getting into his prime years of uh, NFL quarterbacking, heading into what, age 45 now. So, uh, yeah, it'd be definitely worth monitoring to see uh, if he comes back. I, I like to think he, he will come back and, and probably just play forever. There are those quarterbacks with uh, with legs when they begin their career. Mahomes, um, of course, is one of those. Josh Allen was brilliant uh, with his legs yesterday. There are those without legs. Uh, Roethlisberger, of course, who's gone from Pittsburgh after a great career. Uh, and Brady, of course, and Rodgers to a certain degree. Uh, I mean, how good do you have to be to exist with an arm only? Well, I mean, Joe Burrow is, uh, is just sneakily working his way up the quarterback charts at the moment. And... He is proving that he, you know, he doesn't have elite athleticism um, like a, a Josh Allen type mold. He's he's very cerebral. He can see the field and he can make a lot of throws that you know a lot of quarterbacks can't under huge duress as well. He, you know, I think he took about nine sacks in the game against the Titans. So uh, he is um, he's proving that it can be done without necessarily being able to you know run all over the place. Um, probably more in an Aaron Rodgers type mold. I think Aaron Rodgers slash Tom Brady type mold. So. Uh, I think there's still definitely a place for that type of quarterback, and and Joe Burrow will really be reinforcing that as you know it's the copycat sort of league. Uh, so a lot of teams moving forward, they'll be looking for you know the next Joe Burrow uh, as they you know look to the draft and and so forth uh, into the the following seasons. But I, I still think they definitely have a place in this game. Okay, well let's uh, look forward to uh, next Monday our time, uh, New Zealand time, nine a.m. the first game. Chiefs-Bengals, how do you see that shape out? I'd imagine Mahomes and the Chiefs would be pretty warm favourites there. Yeah, I think they probably should do the business. Um, they are now in their fourth um, AFC Championship game in a row, uh, looking to make their third Super Bowl in a row. So when they get down to this time of the year, they really know how to win and know how to get the job done. So they're going to be going up against the upstart Bengals, who are riding a bit of a, a magic carpet ride at the moment. We're where they're not used to the success, but um, the the new breed of players are trying to get their fan base used to it and say, hey, we, we, we're here and we're here for the long term. We want to win games. So um, I guess it, it, you could look at it a couple of ways. The Chiefs played a, an epic game against the Bills, so could they be in store for a bit of a letdown against the Bengals and not take them as seriously as, as they need to? Mm. On the other side of the coin, you can have, have the Bengals coming out of Tennessee they had a massive win against them, against you know all expectations. So, could they have played their final? That that's going to be a um, an interesting sort of um, dynamic between those two teams, and mentally, who can get up for it? But I guess if in doubt, I always go with Patrick Mahomes, and that's a that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, I think uh, it's a it's an amazing bet. Uh, he is he's a miracle worker. I, I don't think there's any <laughs> other way to really describe him. Uh, the Rams, uh, Los Angeles Rams, uh, and the 49ers. 12.30 our time Monday. Yeah, now this one has a lot of intrigue because the Rams, well, it's all set for them now. They've got the, the home ground advantage playing at SoFi Stadium in LA. And if they manage to win this game, then they go to the Super Bowl and maintain that home field advantage. So that will be the second time in NFL history that's ever been done. The first time was last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they managed to get a, a huge win. So it's, it's really looking pretty promising for the LA Rams. Like it may be all falling into place. They've got a lot of 
uh, guys I've brought in during the season, like your Von Millers on defense, uh, also your Odell Beckham Juniors, who are really starting to elevate their game and make a lot of plays. He did um, did some real damage to the Buccaneers um, last week. So the table is set for the Rams to just try and seize home field advantage for the big dance. The only problem with that is that the fly in the ointment here is the 49ers. That is, uh, they are on a, um, a six-game winning streak currently against the Rams. So for the last three seasons, they have effectively owned the Rams, depending on, or didn't even depend on how well each team were going throughout the season. It just seemed as though the 49ers had the game plan to take it to the Rams and, and really um, stick it to them. So uh, that's that could be a close-run thing. Um, and maybe mentally, the Rams maybe just need to just try and just switch on and take up another gear as, they, um, as they've been doing through the playoffs. But these 49ers are coming strong, so I, I could easily see this one going right down to a walk-off field goal uh, once again. So you just uh, finally, I mean, we've talked about retirements, but uh, what about enforced retirements and other words, sackings? Uh, um, and of the coaches uh, that are around the scene at the moment, um, do you see any casualties there as a result of this season's results? Well, there's going to be a bit of churn, I suppose, the regular churn from uh, the playoff teams. Uh, I, I could imagine that teams like the Buccaneers, they could well lose their offensive coordinator, uh, Byron Leftwich, uh, and also defensive um, coordinator, Todd Bowles, as well. Both of those guys have done a stellar job throughout the season, so they could be getting head coach jobs elsewhere. The real intrigue at the moment has been surrounding uh, New Orleans Saints uh, coach, uh, Sean Payton. Um, there's been a lot of um, yeah, a lot of conjecture about where he's at, and you know they've had a, a fairly trying sort of season. A lot of a lot of things going against them, and um, now there is talk about you know he may not be looking to see out the uh, the, the rest of his contract. He's still got two years to go with the Saints, but um, yeah, there's there's a few question marks as to what's going to happen there, um, and and around the league, I guess the another major draw or another talking point, should I say? is the um, the Las Vegas Raiders and how they go about things because they managed to make the playoffs with uh, Rich Basakia, the the interim head coach, after uh, John Cruden, uh, Cruden's um, uh, you know uh, unfortunate exit. But, um, yeah, there'll be a lot of questions as to what happens around there and who they look to bring in. If they want to bring in a, a big name, a big fish coach, which the Raiders have definitely done in the past. People have been talking about maybe looking at Jim Harbaugh um, coming out of the uh, the college game uh, and, you know, reuniting them in the NFL because uh, he's had a lot of success uh, in the higher grade as well. So um, the, I think those are probably two interesting um, places to watch uh, as we head into the uh, the off-season. Jared Cronin, absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, gaining your insight on the NFL. Can't wait for next Monday and those uh, two matchups you've just talked about. Uh, thanks for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. Thanks very much, mate. I love this football. Can't wait for next week. Yeah, me too. Uh, absolutely hooked. Uh, cool. Uh, 11.17 here on SCNZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, we've got some more texts uh, that have come in. Uh, uh, review a couple of uh, stories that have come in overnight. And then, of course, at 11.30, your chance to win 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers, courtesy of Stump Smithy. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, 11.23, I was interested in uh, one of the promotional ads that we played during that break, and it was about the uh, the longest day challenge in golf uh, for the Cancer Society to raise money for there, which is uh, one of the great causes, of course, uh, throughout the world and in New Zealand. 
Uh, take on the longest stay golf challenge. It's a golfing endurance event that will test your skill and your stamina. Uh, now, this is an interesting one. Being a golfer myself, and uh, I really do, um, uh, I enjoy the walk, but I find it pretty taxing come, uh, coming down the 18th. I'm always looking forward to the 19th, put it that way. Uh, but these guys are, are looking at uh, 72 holes in one day to raise funds uh, for that great cause. You can choose the day, the course, the team. Play solo if you prefer. Uh, prefer uh, that would make it quicker. I'm sure you also have to worry about the traffic that's around you on the course. Uh, the longest day of the year was the 22nd of December, uh, but the, you can play any day that suits you. You can register at longestday.org.nz. John, nice challenge, but uh, just as we spoke to uh, to uh, our, our friend that ran the marathon this morning. Um, ben, this would be um, quite a physical challenge. Certainly would. Uh, I had enough golf balls to probably play four rounds and two rounds, so I might only uh, need to play two rounds, Smithy, and my score would be the same as probably you after four rounds. I wouldn't mind doing it barefoot like Ben Cinnamon as well. I quite like the feeling of the beautifully manicured grass underneath my feet. Uh, are you allowed to do that? Oh, I would imagine so, particularly if it's going to uh, charity. I, I, I'm not quite sure if there's a ruling that footwear must be. I suppose there is just in terms of etiquette. Etiquettes are changing, by the by. Uh, you can be a little, little bit, lot more casual in your attire and things at golf courses than you used to be, I can tell you. So, yeah, um, I'll look forward to uh, hearing about, uh, and if you're taking that on, please get hold of us, double eight double three or uh, 0800 if you have any experience at having a crack at that kind of physical challenge whilst trying to get enjoyment out of it, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Ken has come and said, uh, what about Michael Bracewell at number three? Um, not quite sure, uh, Ken, whether um, Michael Bracewell would fit the bill at the moment, but uh, it was interesting uh, to note uh, that uh, you come in with, with that name. Um, I'm kind of thinking that Daryl Mitchell, I, I think they'll look within the squad initially, and certainly Daryl Mitchell's part of that squad and has been pretty successful at the Challenger, so I, I think that he'll be in there in some capacity. Um, but we're, we're hoping, of course, that Kane Williamson uh, is available. Will Young has, has done a, an extremely good job of uh, speaking to him the other day. He's absolutely loving it, loving the opportunity, having waited so long. And, man, as he grasped the, every opportunity with both hands, he looks a, a very solid player in the making. Of course, Conway's back fit and uh, producing big runs, and, and Tom Latham is uh, once again in the best of form that you can imagine. So... Interesting, but there is another cricket story uh, which is raising its ugly head, and I understand Staffy might get uh, a little bit stuck into it as well, but later on, uh, and this is uh, the explosive revelations from Zimbabwe, a former Zimbabwe captain, that I was scared for my own safety, I'd fallen for it, is uh, the tweet that he's put on, um, and uh, a text has come in, it's a question for Smithy in regards to Brendan Taylor, this is who we're talking about, uh, the former Zimbabwe cricket captain who has been nabbed with spot-fixing and drug charges. Do you know, Smithy, of anything on the underworld of, of spot-fixing? Um, not really. Uh, you know, clearly there was uh, stuff around there that uh, involved Chris Cairns and uh, Louis Vincent and other players were speculated as being involved. There's been rumours all about. I mean, I, I saw that great documentary on uh, on Hansi Kronje um, as uh, one of the sport's greatest losers as such. Uh, it, it is a lot more common than we think. I think what, what you see uh, about it, and, and temp, attempts anyway uh, to bring it to the surface, uh, but a lot of rabbits on the surface are a very small part of the population, I think, 
you only hear about the, those stories when they come to fruition, but I would imagine there have been attempts, a million attempts, uh, to try and attract players, John. And this one about Brendan Taylor is, is quite awful. Yeah, they call it a honeypot situation. I was out in the uh, in the um, staff room that we have here at SCNZ in Auckland with staff, and he was going into quite de- uh, quite a lot of detail about how the bookies set this up and just how guys like Brendan Taylor get caught in this trap. So I think he's going to have a chat to you just before he gets his show underway at midday today, and I'm sure he'll inform you and our listeners just how easy it is to fall into the trap because Brendan Taylor, bloody good cricketer, Smithy, and then he just kind of fell off the face of the earth for a little while. And I'd say playing cricket for Zimbabwe, I'd imagine you don't get paid very well, if at all, for a long, long time, uh, given their history with money. So I'd say the bookies would have looked at a guy like Brendan Taylor and gone, here's a guy who we can trap in our plans that we have for people, and he's probably desperate enough to go through with it. So, uh, yeah, the stories staff have to, has to tell, Smithy, are very interesting indeed. Oh, there's no doubt uh, once you're in, uh, once they lock you in, you're in for a, the long haul unless you are prepared to get out, face the consequences, and uh, look over the show, over your shoulder for a long period of time. And it, it is, I mean, it, it is, it's dangerous. It's awful um, to, to suspect that this kind of thing uh, with a threat to life and limb um, could be at all possible. But yes, uh, it apparently has uh, come to fruition there with that revelation. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, and if staff's got some more information, I would be uh, one of the first in line to find out more about it. So uh, uh, ugly, absolutely ugly scenario. Um, here's uh, another possible combination. Uh, Nick Kelly at four. Wow, that's an interesting one. That would be uh, one out of the box. Conway to three. Uh, slightly out of the box, uh, Rutherford to open. Uh, he's had a pretty good year, Hamish Rutherford. Uh, Young go down to three, Conway at four, both scoring a boatload of runs over the last two seasons. Uh, likes Mitchell, but don't think he's a three in test match cricket. That's from Gaz. I don't think he's a three either. Uh, he might be a five, though, if you could put Nichols up to four. He might be a five. Uh, he might even be a six with someone else in there at five because he's going to fill an all-rounder role for you. And then you've got Blundell, who really does have to front up, uh, I think, um, this time around. Uh, particularly uh, his runs as a wicketkeeper batsman uh, are going to be a little bit uh, higher in demand. So uh, all those combinations, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Thanks for your input this morning. Uh, it's coming up to 11.30 here. Uh, 0800 150 811. Uh, light up the lines. It's your chance to win 50 bucks from the TAB. Here's Trudy. Certainly is, but we did have a winner of the sleep drops yesterday. Got question number three right, and of course you can win some sleep drops. They're New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements if you can beat Smithy in a quiz, and also that 50 bucks from the the, the TAB. And I'm heading to Auckland, where we've got a regular contestant, Elliot. Happy New Year, mate. How are you? Uh, Not too shabby, mate. Yeah, you're always confident when you come on Stump by Smithy, but what is your record like? Oh, pretty impressive, I'd say. <laughs> of course you'd say that, Elliot, of course. You remember Elliot, Smithy? Yeah, I remember Elliot. I thought a lot about Elliot over the break. <laughs> so, I've been expecting this confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been waiting for it. All right, Elliot, your categories today are cricket, athletics and darts. Do you like any of those? Oh, it has to be cricket, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yep. Smithy's strong suit, yeah. so you're just going to have to get them all right and not give them a chance. Yeah, the usual story then. 
<laughs> You're unbelievable. <laughs> you weren't a wicketkeeper by chance with that chat? No, I was a steamer. A steamer? A steamer. Seamer. Oh, a seamer. Sorry, sorry. Right. Yeah. Okay, a seamer. Nice. What, dibbly dobbly or actually like send it down? A few pies. <laughs> they get the wickets. They often get yeah. the wickets. All right, question number one. Brian Lara holds the record for the highest score in Test cricket. How many runs did he make and who did he score them against? Uh, three. What was it? Most runs in a match. And a t- and a, yeah, a single innings in Test cricket. He's got the record. How many runs and who did he score them against? 364 against Australia. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. See, this is the thing you'll find out about Elliot. All the bravado, all the chat, and then no follow-through. So is that a bit like your bowling? No no follow-through with the leading arm, Elliot? Yeah, pretty similar, eh? Yeah, all right, Smithy, I reckon you'll get this one. Well, I think it's against England, and um, I'm just going to hack out a number here. Uh, I think he went past Matthew Hayden. He got 400, with, I think, against Zimbabwe. And I think he's. I'm just going to go as simple as 401 against England. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was 400 on the dot, I think. Uh, and it was against England uh, because I think uh, Lara had the record 375. Hayden got 380. And then Lara beat him oh. again and got exactly 400. So one run away from a stumping smithy, which means Elliot, the cheeky bugger, survives... On to question number two, which is, a 14-year-old New Zealand schoolboy in the summer of 1967-68 took a record nine wickets and nine balls for Marlborough College. He shares his name with a former New Zealand captain. Who is he? Nine wickets and nine consecutive deliveries. For this kid from Marlborough, over 50 years ago, who has the same name as a New Zealand captain, or an ex-New Zealand captain. Yeah, I wasn't even born. Richard Hadley, one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I don't think Sir Richard ever captained New Zealand, did he, Smithy? Not in a Test match, no. Um, no, he didn't. All uh, right, okay. Let's uh, look at captains here. Long-term captains for me: Daniel Vittori, Stephen Fleming, Brendan McCullum, Ross Taylor, obviously. Oh, God. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know, so I, I'll go back in ta- time a wee bit and say Glenn Turner. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. It was Stephen Fleming, but not the Stephen Fleming, but his name was Stephen oh. Fleming, and it's a record, yep, for Marlborough College in 67-68, nine wickets and nine consecutive deliveries. But we go again, Elliot. Question number three, you've made it this far. How many Black Caps bowlers are currently in the top 10 of the ICC Test Rankings? One? I mean, two, one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket <laughs> you can't, game. You can't say one and then two, sorry. It's, uh, oh. it's not correct, and yeah, neither that, are correct. Right. <laughs> oh, neither are correct. Neither are correct. Uh, it's not going to be three. It has to be none. One of the worst things I have ever seen oh, you're done me. on a cricket field. It is three. Three in the top. Three. It is three. Really? Yep. Cole Jamison is third. Tim Southey is sixth, and Neil Wagner is ninth. 
And that oh, means wow. all the questions were wrong today on cricket. You're a specialist subject. You were there or thereabouts, Smithy, but couldn't affect a stumping. So our man, Elliot, wins. He wins the 50 bucks, but no sleep drops for you, Elliot. But well done all the same, mate. Oh, great. Dodged a few bullets. <laughs> Did you what? Yeah, dodged, a few, <laughs> dodged a few beamers and bounces there, brother. Okay, <laughs> stay on the line. Congratulations. Uh, 11.37 here on SENZ Day. And... Uh, Jacob will get your details as we speak. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to go into Mount Rushmore very shortly, uh, John Day and I, and uh, compare our notes with yours on those four bowlers uh, that have impressed us the most over the years. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. <laughs> Jimmy Hendrix there with uh, his version, instrumental version of the Star Spangled Banner, which means it's time for Mount Rushmore, John Day and I. And our subject today uh, is the, the bowlers, the terrific bowlers that have uh, come through and impressed us and uh, really commit uh, them to our memory for various reasons. Uh, so in descending order, 4 three, two, one. I think I'll start today, if that's okay, John. I'm going to go for a guy, and uh, this is a bloke who's no longer with us, passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, with an exceptionally long run-up. He ran in from an angle. Uh, his nickname was uh, a goose because he looked a bit like a goose running in with those long legs and long strides. Um, man, but when he uh, let you have it, he was quicker than a lot of people gave him credit for. A hell of a competitor and a very, very good uh, England captain. And uh, I always talk about uh, when you hear about Pat Cummins being a bowler and a captain. Well, this bloke did it for a long time. Bob Willis. Bowl him. It's all over. And it is one of the most fantastic victories ever known in Test cricket history. Bob Willis, eight wickets, a fabulous performance. England have won this match after one of the most astonishing fightbacks you could ever see. That is uh, quite incredible. 1981 at Headingley, remember that was uh, the Test match dubbed Botham's Test match. Botham turned it around with a bat. Willis finished it off with a ball. Eight wickets. Unbelievable. Yeah, man, I feel out of my depth here, Smithy, because you actually played against and with a lot of these guys. So I've had to kind of move more into this sort of uh, millennia and the 2000s. And my fourth favourite uh, bowler on my Mount Rushmore uh, is a guy who I hated and then just grew to respect, and then uh, just the way he bowled without pace, but just so much control. I'd never seen... Uh, a bowler control the ball like this guy. Very close. It's better than close. It's out. It's what Glenn McGrath does so well. Gets so many balls in the right spot, and that one just nipped back off the seam. No shot from Imran Farhat and the judge LBW. Like you could put a five-cent piece down on a pitch or a ten-cent piece as it is these days, and he'd hit it six out of six, wouldn't he? And he'd make the ball do different things. 
uh, when he hit that 10 cent piece. I just thought he had the ultimate control. And once da- down at Carisbrook as well, Brett Lee was making his debut. He was on the boundary fence and all us students were absolutely giving it to Brett Lee. So then Glenn McGrath uh, swapped positions with Brett Lee. He came down towards us. We started trying to give it to uh, Glenn McGrath. He just pulled the fingers at all of us and told us to shut up, which we did for the rest of the day. So Glenn McGrath, he was uh, just a, he was a bit of a boss cricketer for me, Smithy. So he's on my Mount Rushmore. Ooh ah, Glenn McGrath. Ooh ah, Glenn McGrath. <laughs> okay, uh, and my next one is uh, an Aussie quick as well. Uh, one of the greatest of all time. Set the tone. Um, I think, for fast bowling during his generation. Um, uh, The women loved him. Uh, He was debonair, great moustache. And I'll tell you what he did have was a terrific bowling action. Absolutely pure. Uh, Dennis Lilly, fantastic. Australians reverting once more to Dennis Lilly from the Vauxhall end, coming into Jon Snow, looking for the extra pace here. Getting that through, and Snow's out caught behind. Marsh taking a very comfortable catch. That's the first ball from Dennis Lilly in this new spell. Brilliant commentary, uh, and that was uh, the brilliant Dennis Lilly. Absolutely outstanding. Lilly and Thompson as a duo, very fearsome. Love the duos, and my next guy was part of a duo as well. Uh, massive impression on me with when I first started getting into cricket during the 92 World Cup. Uh, he could swing it in the air both ways off a smallish run-up, uh, one of the best left-arm fast bowlers to ever play the game. He could sometimes get it to swing in and away in the same delivery. Uh, and, of course, was this Pakistani tearaway. Alan Donald has scored just 40 runs in 22 innings, so... He's hardly likely to be able to stand up to the solar stop from seeing from Roger McCoon, who knocks him out of first ball, middle stump. What sensationing bowling by the Pakistani captain. Yeah, Tailenders had no chance against Wazim and Wakar, but just Wazim for me, Smithy, just that left arm and just such a short run-up, but could do so much with the ball. Uh, quite incredible, I thought. So Wazim Akram on my Mount Rushmore. He started his test career in New Zealand in 1985 off a very long run, and as you say, uh, whittled it down to uh, a matter of steps, really. But it was his fast arm and his ability uh, to make the ball just move so late, which made him nigh impossible at times. Uh, my number two will be a lot of people's, New Zealand people's number one, of course. It is Mr. Rhythm and Swing himself. So Richard Hadley must be really licking his lips at the moment, looking forward to his 281st wicket in tests and he's got him right through him and that makes it six in the second innings 15 for the match and New Zealand have won by an innings and 41 runs a very happy New Zealand team their first ever victory on Australian uh, soil and congratulations all around but to Richard Hadley really the man who set this victory up yeah, quite astonishing uh, bowling figures when they gazumped by uh, his nine wickets, of course, gazumped by Ajaz Patel not that long ago. But uh, that was a performance and a half. He had, as you know, an incredible amount of performance and a half throughout his career. His record is undeniable. Um, that was uh, Ian Chappell sounding not so happy about New Zealand beating Australia for the first time. I think Frank Dyson, uh, Frank Dyson, very very quick bowler in his own right, uh, was the other uh, the English voice that you heard there. So. What a test match, and uh, Sir Richard Hadley certainly, uh, and most people's top four, and New Zealand minds, probably the top.
Yeah, I just don't have memories of Sir Richard. I feel like I've missed out. I was right on the cusp, so I couldn't put him in my top four. But a New Zealand bowler has made number two on my list. And just simply, I'd never seen a New Zealand bowler bowl fast before, uh, let alone bowl fast in swinging Yorkers that terrorised Australians. Uh, So this guy had to be on my top four fast bowlers, or bowlers in general, that I've ever seen. It's Bolden. That's a cracking Yorker. An express delivery from Bond. And this is a beauty of a delivery. Yorker. This from uh, Shane Bond. Yeah, Bondy just didn't play enough matches, too injured, but great to see him at the Black Clash at the weekend. But imagine if he'd played even 50 tests, Smithy. Like, it would have been in a hell of his career, a hell of a career. So oh, I just want more Shane Bond, but didn't get enough. But he is number two on my list. Nah. Yeah, and now, of course, uh, making his name as uh, one of the best bowling coaches in the world. Uh, well, this last bloke for me, uh, Whispering Death uh, was his nickname. Um, one of the reasons I put him in is because uh, as a batter, and you have to call him batters these days, uh, you uh, had a lot of time to think about is this amazingly uh, refined athlete loped in towards you. And I call you loped in towards you because he did. Uh, his run-up was exceptional. Uh, probably 50 plus metres at times and so much went through your mind because you knew he was such a competitor. He didn't muck around with slower balls or anything of that nature. Uh, He was uh, really easy on the eye except if you're at the other end. And this ball too and Holden's done it surely this time. Out of the ground goes Alan Knox, middle stump and that has really got to be the end of England here in this fifth test match. That was 14 wickets of the oval for Mikey Holding. Uh, these days, of course, uh, very passionate uh, about uh, racism uh, in sport, etc. Very outspoken, uh, and he does. He wears his heart on his sleeve, uh, and a true gentleman. Mikey Holding. Number one on your list. That's big, ahead of Sir Richard. Mm. So he must have been bloody good. Mm. Number one on my list is another bloody Aussie, and you all know who it is, and you all know this delivery. Shane Warne. Off only two or three paces, he bowls, and Gatting is taken on the pace. Bowled! Well, Gatting's still standing there. He can't believe it, but that must have turned a very long way. We haven't got a view of this, but it took his off stump. Gatting can't believe it. That is Shane Warne's first delivery in a test match in England. He's comprehensively bowled Mike Gatting. And, well, we'll have to wait for a replay, I'm afraid, to to tell you exactly what happened. But that must have turned an awful long way. Shane Warne, 708 wickets of leg spin beauty smithy and as much as he wanted to hate him, peroxided here and all the confidence in the world, you just couldn't because he had every single batsman bamboozled and all leg spinners now want to be Shane Warne, even still. ...list as well and great to have a, a spinner in the mix, thanks to Jacob for getting those uh, little clips out of commentary uh, of days gone by. It is uh, 11.52 uh, when we come back, just time to check in with staff on perhaps this Brendan Taylor story and what he's got on this afternoon.